Thank you, Pastor Brenda, for your prayers. And it is so good to be back, church. Erica and I had a wonderful time away. And uh, we have missed you all. Uh, We have missed community church. We've missed being with you. And uh, so it is so good to be back. We had a good time of visiting our kids, um, family, and friends, and just being restored. And so really a wonderful time. And uh, we are ready to come back. Um, It was the perfect week um, to try to get over jet lag. As Richard was here fine-tuning the coffee machine, I was the recipient of several shots of espresso and Americanos, and so it was perfect timing. We finished the journey through Galatians, and such a powerful book by Paul to the church in Galatia on knowing and understanding and walking in freedom. And those are all up online. If you missed one, go check them out because it's a wonderful way to to just dig into the whole book. We're doing two weeks before we start our series that's called Beginning and End, a series on Genesis and Revelation that will take us all the way to Advent. So we've got two weeks to kind of talk a little bit about um, some things that are on my heart. They're related to our vision. Something very important for our vision is love, God's love for us. You can see our vision in the circle. It's a community that loves God, loves people, and loves doing good. And today we're going to talk primarily about the loving God part and loving others. And our vision, you know, just didn't sort of drop from the sky. It's in God's story to us in the Bible. It's his narrative about how he loves us and we are to love him. And so I want to spend some time with that today and talking about being known and loved, being known by God and loved by God. We see the first and greatest commandment that Jesus gives us. He summarizes all of the law into one command where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's the foundation. It's the starting point. It's what He calls us to have our lives be about. But how secure are we in God's love for us? Do you believe it? Is it an idea? Is it something you can think, yeah, I think God loves me? Or is it something you know deep in your heart? Is it when I'm doing my best, when I'm behaving my best, God, that's when God loves me. And when I'm not, then I'm not so secure in that love. Knowing God's love for us is fundamental in our identity. It's a building block of our faith. And if we don't get this right, it's hard to grow in our relationship with him. Let me tell you a story. When I was in the fifth grade, my parents moved me to a new school. In the area we lived, that was the last year of primary. I was going to a very small Christian school up until that point. My parents couldn't afford it, didn't want to pay for it anymore. So it was my first time going to a public school. I was a little nervous. Um, I had no friends there, and I was in general just a bit anxious. How would I fit in? What would it be like? Would I be welcomed? Would it be a place for me to be secure? And so naturally, I was most concerned about myself and me and my issues and my problems. And that's a natural thing to be concerned about. 
But let me tell you what it didn't provide for me was to think about them. Who else might be new in this class? Who else could I be a friend to? It was really me, me, me. Will I fit in? Will I be accepted? Will I be cared for? I was too concerned about my own insecurity to even look out towards others. Now, eventually, hopefully, when we start new things, the anxiety fades, right? We feel secure. We feel loved. We feel included. We look to the needs of others. What if you could read minds? What if you could read my mind right now, if you could read the person next to you, their mind? What if you had somebody in your life and they could read every thought you had? It'd be hard to be friends with that person, right? It would be hard to live and function with our own limitations. I would be embarrassed if you could, if this person could read my mind. All the random thoughts I have, my judgments, my insecurities, lust, anger, all of that, things just popping into my head. If somebody knew all of that about me, I'm not sure I would want to have them very close. What would they think if they really knew me? in everything that goes on in my head, would they still want to be in relationship with me? When I was at my parents' house this summer, um, I used to collect comic books when I was a teenager. Anybody here like comic books? All right, I saw Ori's hand, at least. All right, Phoebe, all right, all right, there's a number, yes. So I have a whole stack of them, and uh, it gave me some time to, to, to go through them, and this was one of them that I found. And what stood out to me that I didn't appreciate so much back then is not that it was Spider-Man, but it was Shang-Chi. There had not yet been a movie made about this pretty small character in the Marvel Universe, and so this comic book actually might be fairly valuable now as it introduces this character. But my favorite sort of comic book characters were the X-Men. I have so many X-Men comic books, and the leader of the X-Men is the guy in the middle there, and his name is Xavier. Xavier could read minds. He could get into your head. He knows what you're thinking. And as a teen, I thought, well, that's kind of cool, but that's also kind of not cool, right? Like, he couldn't fly. He didn't have super strength. And I was like, he could just read your mind. If you had a friend that knew everything about you, what you thought about them, their personality, their behavior, would you want to be close? Would you still be loved? Well, Scripture tells us what God's posture is towards us and what he knows about us. So let's look at Psalm 139. The psalmist says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before word is on my tongue, you know it, Lord, completely. Goes on to verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let's pray. 
God, I pray uh, today that as your spirit works among us, it helps us to understand and to grow in your incredible knowledge and love of us. May these words from scripture go deep into our heart today. In your name, we say amen. So Psalm 39 tells us that God does, in fact, know everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything before a thought, right? Before a word comes out, he knows it. He knows us on a level that actually we can't even know ourselves. In God's economy, not a single thought or idea or moment is lost. God can sort of capture and envelop every one of those moments. The psalm, I didn't read the whole thing, but it says God knows us and he shapes us. Our inner being is shaped by him. He has all of the data points in our lives. He knows it all. Our thoughts, our hearts, our motivations, the things that randomly pop in, the things that we don't want anybody else to know. This psalm gives us a picture of God examining us, not in an exam test sort of way, but somebody who draws close into us, looking at us, looking at the process that we are formed and shaped. And it pictures God being able to do anything that God wants to. Now, it doesn't say that everything that happens to us is God's will. God's will has never been evil. God allows evil to happen. So it's not saying that everything that happens is God's will, but God has the ability to act and to to be present in any which way he can, in those ways that align with his purposes. The psalm is extremely encouraging that we can never go so far that we can outrun God, that we can go to a place he can't find us. The, the psalm says if we go to the depths, if we go to the heights, anywhere we go, God will go with us. He will be with us. He knows our thoughts, right? Like Xavier on the X-Men. And how does he respond? Does he pull away? He draws near with his presence, and with his love. He loves perfectly, without condition. What is our response to that love, to that presence, to that knowledge of being known and loved? Well, the psalmist gives us his response at the end of 139. He says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we are loved, we can respond in love. When we are fully known, we want to be fully known. The psalmist draws near. He doesn't say, I'm going to run away from this. I can't handle it. He says, God, in fact, draw more close to me. I want to live my life in response to you. And that really is what worship is, is living our life in response to what God has done. God is the first mover towards us and our movement is a response, the second movement. How do we respond to be known and loved? It's impossible for for us to go anywhere that God cannot be with us. We can run, (laughs) but we can't hide. When I was finding my way back to God, early high school, 
And I wouldn't have said it at the time that God was pursuing me. But upon reflection, that's what was happening in my heart. There was something I needed that I knew about God's love, but I hadn't heard really about God's love. And he was pursuing me, and I found my way back. But I was stepping back in. I didn't feel secure. I didn't really know that God loved me. So instead of responding to that love, instead of knowing that security, I lashed out around those who were there at a part of that youth group. I was judging them, right, before they could judge me because I didn't yet feel that safety and security of who God was and his thoughts towards me. And when God began to melt my heart, the judgments, the insecurities began to fade into the background. And I could receive what I so deeply needed and then could actually respond to that love by loving others. The psalmist wants to be known. It doesn't mean that he's proud about everything that he's done. It doesn't mean that he's you know, happy about how he's lived his entire life, but he wants God to be closer instead of further away. He wants more intimacy with God. He wants to walk in that and to live in that and to draw closer. How do we want to live in response to God's love for us? Not just in our heads. Yes, it's, I can believe on an intellectual level that God loves me, but deep in my heart, there are times I think he doesn't. What I'm wanting for all of us is to not have it just stop here, but to go deep into our hearts because that's where the transformation happens. I want to give us three ways that I think we can live into God's love. And the first is to slow down and to remember it. Sherry Turkle, she's a professor at MIT. Um, she did research on being alone with our thoughts. She says, when we aren't alone, we lose the capacity to be intimate with others in our relationships with one another, but also with God. And this is what she says. This is Sherry Turkle at MIT. She says, if we are not able to be alone, we're going to be more lonely. And Pascal prophetically wrote 400 years ago, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. See, this Psalm 139 talks about God's transcendence, his omnipotence, his vastness, his greatness, but it also talks about his intimacy, his drawing near, his care for us. He, he knows it all and he chooses to love. But that's a message sometimes we have to fight for. We have to slow ourselves down to actually let it go deep into our soul. In our last week in the U.S., we were um, staying with some friends that um, let us use uh, their sort of their holiday house near the beach. And each morning I would go up with my cup of coffee and just sit there and reflect as I see the waves coming in to slow down. Now, I... I have to not just slow down on vacation, right? I need to be able to do that here as well because it's swimming against the current to have these truths go deep into our hearts. When we do slow down, we find God saying that he knows you and he loves you that he is at the center of our identity that you are a child of God that you are beloved 
So we need to be alone. Now, some of you are great at being alone. You love solitude. Um, and so maybe the challenge for you is to be in community. Um, some of you love community or love, maybe you're an extrovert, and, but the being alone and being quiet is quite hard. We need both. If you're great at being alone, awesome. If you want to grow in that, actually this week, as Brenda was announcing, we had the contemplative gathering on Wednesday, 7.30. It's a great opportunity to slow down because sometimes it can be scary to slow down, to be still in silence. Maybe we're flooded with things we've been pushing back and we have the ability to distract ourselves for every moment that we're awake. I know I can do it because of this, my phone, right? I can be distracted the entire day and never sit quietly to listen, to be still before God. And it's a barometer for my own emotional and spiritual health. If I know that I'm distracting myself and not giving myself any time to be quiet, there's something in here that I probably am not dealing with that I need to deal with. It can be scary, but it is so essential to slow down. What thoughts are flooding in and how can you remember God's presence with you when that happens. See, we can be tempted to put all of our energy into what people see around us, our production, right? Our image, the things that we are doing. That's what we might get comments on and nobody will see what is underneath. But if we don't pay attention and nurture what is underneath, we'll end up so empty, so frazzled. So not about the things that God wants to speak into our hearts. So we know that God knows us, and he doesn't turn away. He turns towards. Psalm 46 talks about the importance of slowing down. Be still and know that I am God. This psalm talks about God's nearness, the need for stillness. Because holding on to that truth of being known and loved by God, it's like a little candle that can be so easily blown out. We have to protect it. The world isn't encouraging that message. And maybe our own sort of inner critic isn't encouraging that message as well. So we need to actually spend some time to nurture it, to hold on to it, to protect it. We have to resist and set down lies that maybe we've taken up about ourselves, that we're not enough, that we're less than. If only I did this, then God would actually love me. We have to set down those lies about our identity and take time to embrace that we are called by God, his children, and beloved. It takes time. About 10 days ago, Erica and I celebrated our 30th anniversary. And yeah, we got married at age 10. So um, in case you're trying to do the math. And, and we went back to the place that I took her for dinner where um, later that night I proposed to her. And it was fun. And we got to, to partake in this. And it, it takes time to nurture a relationship. It takes time to set aside time, to, to reflect, to be still, whether it's our relationships with one another or with God. 
And those 30 years for Eric and I, it's not like, you know, we went from blessing to super blessed to just, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns. And no, we've had really difficult years in our journey, but we continue to press in to be known and to love takes time, takes effort. The next way I think that we can live into God's love is actually receiving it. Not just setting aside time to remember it, but actually receiving it. To receive his love. Now, we close our services every week with a benediction. And some people will open their hands. And I love this posture of a you know, receiving a benediction, receiving a blessing, this posture of openness, of grabbing a hold of that. And we do several different sort of blessings or benedictions at the end of the service, but one of the ones that we often use comes from numbers. This is a blessing that God gave to Aaron to give to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This is receiving God's love. This is receiving his blessing. Psalm 67.1 restates it. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. But what does it actually mean for God's face to shine on us? What does it mean to ask for that blessing? It means two things. One, God, notice me. See me in whatever state I'm in. If I've had a great week or a really hard week, see me, notice me. And to shine to delight, to take pleasure in, to notice me and to take pleasure in me, to love me. It it's really speaks to our two human needs, to be known and to be loved. We all want to be known. We all need to be known and loved. We have a desire for it, and this blessing speaks in to both of those. God meets these profound needs. You know, we might think, I'm worried that this person gets to know me and will stop loving me. And because maybe we're not proud of things that we've done, and, and maybe we think that with God as well, but to not be known Right? It's difficult to somebody to really, truly love you if they don't know you. God says, I know you, and I love you. They go hand in hand. And whether it's in our relationships with one another or with God, God desires that intimacy. He wants us to receive the love that he has for us to receive it, not so we can just hold on to it ourselves, to receive it so it can transform us and we can give it away. It's the final thing I want to speak into, that we don't just receive his love, but giving it away is also another way to live in God's love. To be loved by God frees us to love others to not be anxious about our own identity, but be secure in who we are, to walk with the gifts and the identity that God has given us. Scripture says that we can do this because of God's love for us. We love because he loved us first. 
And it's really the second part of our vision, to love people. And again, this is rooted in Scripture. It's the following verses in Matthew 22 that we hit on at the beginning of this service. And the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So look for the beauty in others as God looks for the beauty in you. Respond to God's love for you because of his great love. Receive it. Slow down so we can remember it. Receive it in order to give it away. See, we can't make God love us any less. And maybe that's reassuring. I think for me, it's, it's not so much the worry about making God loving me less. My temptation is to make God love me more, right? You want to get the A star. You want to get the gold sticker. And you want to be, yeah, I did this and God loves me more. That's not what God is saying either. He wants relationship with you. His love is freely given to be freely received not just for ourselves, but for this world that needs it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you know us and you love us. We are known and loved. God, I thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, for the work that you are doing right now. And I, I pray for each one of us here today, whether we you know, freely walk in that and we embrace that and we are slowing down and we're receiving and we're giving it away. We praise God. I pray for those here that maybe they're not yet there. May they truly know that you love them. This morning, you're not waiting for some future perfected version of them before you love them, but you love them in this moment, in this spot. And may that begin the transformation of hearts and minds and lives. God, and may we be a generous community. May we be a community that gives away love, that loves others, not in our own strength, Jesus, but in your strength. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.